morning. Open your Bibles with you with me, if you will, to Ruth. Ruth. We'll be going through this Old Testament book uh, over the next few weeks. Don't know how many yet, but uh, we'll be walking through this Old Testament book. Uh, I've probably noticed through the years of how I preach is I'll preach through a book of the New Testament, and then I will preach through a book of the Old Testament, and then I will perhaps preach through some particular theme uh, that we find in Scripture, such as marriage or something like that. I'll do a series on that, but I always seek to exposit uh, the text. To exposit is to uh, expose or to pull from it, to take from the text the truth rather than to put into the text my truth, all right? So uh, so we're going to be doing that over the next few weeks. This is my Old Testament, uh, and then we'll jump again to the New Testament once we finish Ruth. Um, the jokes are already spinning in the office about how long it's going to take me to get through four chapters. Uh, I don't know, uh, but I just pray God would give me something of substance that would help us as believers in Jesus Christ to live in obedience to him, to surrender everything for the sake of Christ, to surrender everything for all of our hope to be in him and not in ourselves. And so I I want us to think uh, about these things. Uh, it wasn't long ago that we were reading through uh, the book of Ruth in our daily Bible reading. And it was during that time when I said, eh, I got I to gotta do this. I was reading it. And I just love the story, the narrative. Uh, love all the truths that God has put in this text. And as I was reading it, I realized something. I hadn't preached through Ruth before. So I thought, that's my Old Testament book, and so that's what I was, we're going to look at. So, uh, the book of Ruth. Today, I want to set it up for you. I want to give you a little bit of background, certainly not all of it, but some that will be helpful to us in our study. Uh, I want you to see some of the themes that we will cover uh, from this text, and uh, I have about six ways I want to do that today. Um, and so I'll uh, mention those. Uh, I'm going to just kind of show you the breakdown of the book of Ruth and how it's broken down. The first part I call the circumstances. That's chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. The circumstances. The writer is setting up the circumstances of this narrative. Secondly, we're going to look at the first crisis uh, that Ruth, that Naomi come to. And that crisis is found in chapter 1, 3 through 22. We're going to see a solution to that crisis in the form of a young man by the name of Boaz. And the solution to that crisis is found in chapter 2, 1 through 23. Once that solution is discovered, 
yet another crisis appears. Isn't that just like life? You get, come to one crisis, you solve it, here comes another one. Just like life. And so this other crisis comes about, and that crisis uh, is found in chapter 3, 1 through 18. I'm giving you an outline here. And although there's that second crisis, there's a resolution that comes. And that resolution is found in chapter 4, 1 through 17. And then there at the very end, there's this little epilogue. Or you could call it a coda or a conclusion. That seems that it's disconnected with the book of Ruth, but it's not. And we find there this theme of the Redeemer, David's son. I want us to kind of walk through that today and just kind of grasp the broad context of this book. And I want us to see the significance of what I just mentioned, that there's going to be a king, David, and his son, Jesus, the Redeemer. And I believe that all fits very well. There's a lot of thinking on who wrote Ruth. Most commentators believe Samuel, and that it was written during the time of David, where Samuel died before David became king, but it was Samuel who anointed him king. And so it's believed that that is the case. And we say that because David is mentioned there. So it was probably written written during that time, uh, more than likely by Samuel. Um, I read a text out of Isaiah 61 earlier. Did it on purpose during my pastoral prayer. It was Isaiah 61 that Jesus took the scroll and read in the synagogue in Nazareth. And then he said, these words today are fulfilled in your hearing. And he was saying, I'm the Messiah. And he was saying, I came to do these things. I came to liberate those who are captive and oppressed. I say that, and I think it's an important thought because we need to understand where Ruth comes from. And in most of our congregations, Ruth would not be welcome because of her background. She was a Moabitess. She was from Moab. Anybody know where Moab came from? Yeah. Moab was the son of Lot and one of his daughters. That's her background. The land was full of idols. And this is where Elimelech chose to lead his family when a famine came upon the land. Particularly the land where Bethlehem was, Judah. 
And so we see that there was a famine that took place in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah, I'm reading from Ruth now, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. I want us to see the circumstances that are behind this book. We see that it's the, in the day of the judges. The book in front of Ruth, Judges, all right? Probably why it has its placement in the Old Testament canon. But this was during the days of the judges. It wasn't after the days of the judges. After the days of the judges was the days of the king. All right? But here it's the day of the judges. And interesting, the last sentence of judges. It's right there. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There's no king in Israel. That's what it was like in the days of the judges. They would repent and then they would rebel and then they'd repent and then they would bell. There would be a crisis and then there would be a solution. That's what was happening in the times of the judges. There was no king but Elimelech. Y'all know what his name means? God is king. Many people speculate that Elimelech sinned when he carried his family over to Moab. But he was trying to take care of his family. I don't know whether he sinned or whether he didn't, but I know that he was trying to feed his family. And so he went to Moab. And that land, according to Judges chapter 10, was full of foreign gods and foreign idols. And I'm sure there was some influence there. But the circumstances were uh, that there was a famine. Rewind back to chapter 19 of Judges. And something we find there is an interesting narrative that's given of a Levite who is going through this area and he passes through a place called Gebeah, I believe was the name of it. My pages are stuck together. I guess I hadn't read Judges enough. Uh, but he, he's going through this, uh, this area, it's Gebeah, and nobody will take him in. None of his kinsmen will take him in. None of the people of Israel will take him in. And finally, a sojourner takes him in, actually, which is interesting because Ruth is a sojourner. But his concubine ends up being mauled, raped, and killed. The Levite loads her up, takes her home, cuts her into 12 pieces, and sends her out to the 12 tribes of Israel. And they say, man, nothing like this has ever happened. And all Israel rises up against Benjamin, which was the tribe that had allowed this atrocity to take place. And they went in, and uh, the, 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 the people of Israel swore, we're going to give no wives, none of our daughters as wives to the Benjaminites. And they went in and they, uh, they, they pummeled them and they didn't have anything. And then they felt bad about that and said, we, we made a vow that we wouldn't give any of our wives 
But there were some people that didn't show up from Jabesh uh, Gilead when we offered these sacrifices. So we're going to invade them, and we're going to take from them all those who could be wives to the Benjaminites. There were 400 virgins. And Benjamin said, that's not enough. So they said, we have another solution for you then. There's going to be a feast to the Lord at Shiloh. And uh, right there, we want you to lay in ambush, lay in wait in the vineyards. And if the women come out and dance, you take them. So they encouraged human trafficking. And if their fathers come and complain to us, we'll smooth it over for you. In the day of the judges, they did nothing right. Okay? They didn't do anything right. They came up with their own way of justifying things. Did y'all notice where Elimelech was from? From Bethlehem. I want you to know that we see this family fleeing a famine. And we see two sons that go there. And they're not married at the time. Could it be that there were no Wives as well. So the atrocities of Benjamin and the potential of a lost tribe brought these circumstances about, perhaps. And a famine drove this family to Moab, this place of foreign gods, and that's where we are. First two verses set that scene. Set the scene of the judges doing whatever they wanted. Day of the judges. Very soon in the book of Ruth, we find that a crisis occurs. Listen to what it says. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathite. Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman, Naomi, was left without her two sons and her husband. She had no one to care for her. She's a widow, and those who were to care for her died, her two sons. She's in a foreign land. And she is in dark times. This is the crisis. It's Naomi's misery. It's the misery of Naomi. Certainly it was the misery of Christ that has brought favor to us. So Naomi's misery, and 
what I want you to see, the theme of that misery is this. The sovereignty of God in the darkest of times. The sovereignty of God in the darkest of times. Where do you think that famine came from? that drove Elimelech and his family into Moab. I think it was Elisha who told the widow, hey, the Lord has called forth a famine over the land. Even Naomi points to this when she's talking to Ruth and Ruth is saying, I don't want to go. And Orpah is saying, I don't want to go. In verse 13, she says, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. We'll look, by the way, once we get there next week about her theology in all this. Is she right? She says it again in verse 20, where the people came and said, is this Naomi? You're back. They've been gone for over 10 years. And she said in verse 20, do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? There's a crisis going on. She's returned to her place, but to what? There is nothing for her. Everything that is land that belonged to Elimelech is there where she's at, but she has no right to it. Her sons had right to it. They're dead. How will she survive? How will she live? How will she... Keep going. And Ruth is there with her. Remember, she made the journey. She came along. She said, no, I'm not going back to my family. I'm going to be with you. So we find something going on in chapter 2 where, um, where Ruth says, I'm going I'm to go out and glean. Because that's what you did when you were poor. Naomi was old. Didn't necessarily go out and glean. Ruth said, I'm going to do that for you. And she did. She came across Boaz. We see the misery of Naomi. And in that we see the sovereignty of God in the darkest of times. I mean, a famine had come, the death of her husband, the death of her sons, and a future of gleaning and the weight of poverty awaited her. But then we see 
a solution. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 23, we see the solution in this. There is a Redeemer. And Ruth, when she went out to the field, she was gleaning. And she uh, asked permission to, to glean in this field. And Boaz came back. And he said, who's this woman? And they said, you know, told who it was. It was Ruth. She was Moab. She was with Naomi. And he had heard of her and heard of all that she had done for her mother-in-law and how she had loved her. And Boaz showed favor to her. There's a redeemer. What we see here is God's providence in the darkest of times. God's sovereignty and that he does at times call forth famines and allow the suffering of some to lead to the favor of others. But here, there's a redeemer. I mean, she goes out and uh, Boaz, when he comes back in, he uh, shows favor to her. In verse 8 of chapter 2, Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you're thirsty, you go and you get you a drink from the vessels that are there. What the young men have drawn. Look what she says in verse 10. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Why are you welcoming me? I don't belong here. I don't look like you. I don't know your customs. I'm just doing what Naomi told me. Why do you find favor with me? Boaz said, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The solution, there's a redeemer. And he is that redeemer. She doesn't know that, but as he continues on, he shows even more favor. At mealtime, Boaz said, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. All the other women weren't getting to do that. You come near. He was showing love to her there's something growing here something about Ruth y'all know what it's a love story it is that's why so many people like so many women like Ruth it's a beautiful story of redemption and love it is it's a man who notices this girl and not just that she's beautiful What's on the inside? The character and the devotion and the loyalty. He sees that. 
That's what he said. How you dealt with your mother-in-law. That was the beauty that Boaz saw. He's the redeemer. So he gave instruction. I mean, he said, let her glean, not just from the sides, but let her get on inside inside the garden, okay? Let her glean even among the sheaves. Don't reproach her. You let her take whatever she wants is what Boaz is saying. (laughs) That's super. She takes that and she goes back to Naomi, and Naomi says, how'd you do? Look at all this. I mean, she's brought in now. She's got some stuff. Naomi said, man, this guy, he showed me favor. His name's Boaz. Naomi. He's a redeemer. He's one who can redeem me. Naomi says, let me give you some instructions. And so she begins to tell Naomi, here's what you do, all right? She tells her what to do, and she goes up to Boaz as he is sleeping, and he's laid down for the night, and she goes, and she uncovers his feet, and she lays down at his feet. We'll get more into the details of what's going on there when we get there. But Boaz is startled, and he's awakened, and he finds her there. She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Boaz could have taken full advantage of this, as many men in our day would have done. I know what he did. Look, I am a redeemer. You lay here till morning. I'm not going to take advantage of you. You lay here till morning. Because there's a redeemer who is closer than I am. And if he will not redeem you, I will. How about the nobility of Boaz? Right there. How about the discretion? Of a man who finds himself in a position to sin and he doesn't. How about the woman who's yielding herself to this Redeemer? I'm yours. a redeemer that's closer than me. And if he'll redeem you, then he can redeem you. But if he will not, I will. We'll be looking at the theme of biblical manhood and womanhood there. The nobility and the love and the affection that Boaz shows, the favor that he shows. Y'all know I'm a complementarian. That means I I believe that God has established that 
a man, is to be uh, a husband, is to be the leader of his home, and he's to care for his wife, and she's a compliment to him in every way. It's a very broad understanding. But I know many complementarians that use that view as a means to disregard their wife and their needs and their security and their dignity. Use it as a means to just simply say, we're going to do it my way. It's wrong. I'm not going to go much farther than that because then I'll get mad and I won't do that. Naomi lays out the instruction. Boaz demonstrates tender, honoring, disciplined love to this woman. Kind of love and honor and disciplined that every woman would say, yes, that's a man. And then Boaz pursues Ruth's redemption. He goes to the gate calls aside that other redeemer and said, hey, I want you to know this field is available for redemption. It's belonged to Elimelech. And he has died and his sons has die, have died. And I'm a redeemer, but you're a closer redeemer. Do you want it? And he said, yeah. He said, okay, well, what comes with that is Naomi and the Moabite Ruth. And you're going to have to Continue the line of Elimelech through Ruth, his daughter-in-law. He goes, I can't do that. That'd mess up the inheritance that I have and the inheritance of my son. You redeem it. Boaz, he didn't trick him. He just used the way the things ought to be done. The guy said, nah. Nah, I can't be doing that. That'd mess up everything. You know, if I had another son, my other sons would be mad because they don't get what they... Thought they were getting. And there in chapter, we have that resolution happen in chapters 4 through 17. Boaz secures Naomi's life. By redeeming her. Verse 9 of chapter 4, Boaz said to the elders of all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. She came with it. He redeemed Naomi. She was going to have someone to care for her, someone to provide, someone to love her and to love her daughter-in-law, someone to provide a line for her husband. 
Redemption took place. It's a wonderful story. That this woman of pagan background, this woman who came from incest with her line, God sovereignly said, I want to take you and I want to put you in my son's line. Doesn't that mess things up? No, it doesn't mess things up. It shows us what God is like. The love and compassion that he has. How he redeems all kinds of people. Isn't that great? Isn't it wonderful that he redeems all kinds of people? Not just the one who fit a particular mold, but all kinds of people. No matter their race, no matter their background, no matter their social status, I'm so glad. You see, with most of you, I, would ne- I never would measure up. Back in my past, I don't measure up now. That's okay. But I'd never measure up with your social status, nor your wealth, nor your thinking. I might as well have been from Moab. God, he saves the ungodly, not the ones who are righteous. Thank God he saves Ruth from Moab. Look what it says. Look at the epilogue. Look at the coda. Look at the conclusion. Let's start at verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. This is uh, the the child that, uh, that Ruth had and that Naomi took and uh, became his nurse. And they named him saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nahashan. Uh, Nahashan fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And from David comes Jesus, the Redeemer, the one who sets us free, the one who the Spirit was upon. The one who came to preach liberty to the captives. The one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Boy, the book of Ruth is a beautiful book of redemption. Oh, and it applies to us every single step of the way. And it helps us to see how our heart needs to be like that of God. 
And how our minds need to be like that of God. And how our eyes need to see like God sees. You see that first king they chose, he was handsome, good looking. He looked like a king. David didn't so much look like a king. Even Samuel was kind of like, this one? Jesse didn't even bother putting the boy forward. So you got any more sons? Because God don't like any of these. Eh, not that he don't like them, but they're not king material. You got anything else? Yeah. David, he's out in the field shepherding. I mean, he's, bring him here. He was ruddy in appearance, whatever that means. And, you know, yeah, just, and God said, that's the one. Anoint him. I'm not looking at what's on the outside. I'm choosing by my sovereign hand, and I'm looking by what's on the inside. And this is a guy who's got a heart like me. Oh, God, that we would have hearts like yours. Oh, God, that we would be compassionate, that we would be loving. Oh, God, that we would not use our religion as a means of disapproving of some ever. Pray. Father, we want to thank you for the kindness you have shown us. Lord, you haven't shown us kindness because we deserved it. You have shown us kindness because you are good and merciful. And Father, we want to thank you for that. We want to thank you, Lord, for saving the ungodly and setting us free. Father, I pray that we would walk in that freedom in a way that pleases you, not in a way that displeases you, not use it to our own end, but God, that we would measure everything against your word. We love you, O oh God, and we thank you for the love you've shown us and demonstrated to us in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name.